Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Luloyan. Matt, welcome to another week of the podcast. Good to be with you, Steve. Good to be back uh, on this non-dungy. It's a not. It's not Monday very dungy outside. It's no, nice it's anti-dungy. I was like, I walked outside this morning. I was like, well, this is not a dungy day, and I'm glad for it. What's the opposite of dungy? It's what's a made-up word that sounds the opposite of terrible? And it's, I mean, you know, I'm going to answer the question right now. Question. Probably Darth, and that's an inside reference. I love I love inside jokes. I let's love just part of let's just leave it at this. I've been on a bad streak. <laughs> well, of combining. Two different ideas into yeah. a word that's not actually a word. Well, that you did, did it last it, week I, with Dungey. And I did it staff You did it this today. morning. I staffed me with a different word. Yes. Got it. So anyone anyone who's like, what are they talking about? Just trust me. This is hilarious. It's funny. You should be laughing along with us, even though it's an inside joke. And it's probably only a matter of time before it happens on a Sunday morning. Sure. In a sermon. Well, right now, the streak, I would suggest it's coming up this Gosh. Sunday. Oh, man. So everybody, get there. You might want to attend both services. <laughs> this is our new This is our new philo- This is is our our new new approach to, like, attractional church growth. There it is. What crazy thing will Matt say this Sunday? That's right. I feel like the dangerous road we could go down. There. That's right. Soon, uh, six months from now, you'll be dressed literally as a clown, just making stuff up on stage. That's right. Uh, hey, good news. I got I got good news and bad news. Okay. Well, well, it's either reflective of good news or bad news. That's okay. really what this is. We're either doing a great job on this podcast, okay. or we are just striking out every week oh, because man. the questions are increasing. That's great. So either we're doing a good job and causing more people to go, yeah, I got some questions to ask too. I love the way that they're engaging some of this content. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. Maybe we're just being so poor. They're like, let's send these these jokers some questions yeah. so they can just like help so themselves on, out. So they stay on task. Stay on task. Better. That's Try, what it is. That's what it is. Actually, so, you know what? This was great. I, I love this. I heard that um, one Bible study group leader in particular okay. was encouraging the, this is a men's group, the men in his group. To all send in questions. He, he kind of brought that into the okay. Bible study group and said, you know what you guys should do? I'd love for you all sometime this semester to send in a question to the okay. to the guys for that. I was like, that's great. That's and, a good if, idea. and if Bible study group leaders are listening to this and you just drop that into your group, we'll be, I mean, we have what, four questions today? We five. have four, one, two, three. We have five questions from five different questioners. Yes. Um, and last week we said, we kind of made this offhand guess, like, you know, maybe a joke, like, what was our longest episode? How long have we gone? Yep. And Elise Dolleslager. Yep. Um, she keeps she keeps us she keeps, keeps us on track. On she uh-huh. does keep yep. she does keep tabs on us. Yep. That's the way to put it. Uh, high performing staff member here at Liberty reminded us that our longest ever episode was in January. It was fifty four minutes. Not quite an hour. Not quite an hour. But dangerously close. Dangerously close. So <laughs> we are. Listen, you set that before us, and two competitive guys Oof. are going to go like, wait, fifty four minutes. We I mean, could, we could hit the double nickel today. We could. I think when we started this podcast a year and a half ago, it was this, this was John Robinson's brainchild. We were like 15 minutes. 15 episodes. minutes. Oh my goodness. Please don't go longer the last, than 15 the minutes. The last time we done a 15 minute episode was a long time ago. No. We I, don't think, I honestly don't think we ever were 15 minutes. We've, no. been, we've been more in like the 20 to 30 range at the shortest and then right. we go past that. So here okay. we go. Today, well, here we yeah. go. We'll stay on. We'll stay on. But we got some good questions here. Let's just jump right into them. Great. Um, actually, Matt, let's not jump right into them. Give me the literal 60 seconds or less Summary for someone's like, oh, I'm listening to this on Thursday. What was the pat? What was the sermon yep. on again? Yep. Give them the give us the quick overview of yesterday's sermon in Philippians. So, 
Chapter 1, verse 27, to go back just a few verses, is when Paul makes his first real uh, imperative, his command to the Philippians in this letter. And he's saying, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So chapter 2 is continuing, really, that's kind of the summary call over what he writes for the next, you know, multiple verses. So he gets to chapter 2. He's really talking about where does steadfastness come from? He wants them to stand firm side by side together for the sake of the gospel. Yep. How? Where does that come from? So chapter 2, these first 11 verses, unpack that a little bit. I use the soil layers analogy. So if steadfastness is the plant, the top soil is unity. So steadfastness comes from unity. Unity comes from humility. And then humility comes from Jesus. So it kind of keeps going. These are the the layers deeper and deeper. The bedrock is Jesus. He's the ultimate example of humility. And therefore, how we get humility ourselves Unity, steadfastness. Yep. And and yesterday, I started writing that down, and I was like, oh, no, I, I knew that. But you used the word steadfastness. Did yesterday you use the word perseverance? I know. Was it steadfastness? I may have thrown a perseverance in there. Okay. I, I, steadfastness was the main one. Okay. I, I thought I'd yeah. written down as perseverance. So there you go. All right. That's the, that was a little bit of the formula walkthrough, first yep. 11 verses. So let's jump into this question. I'll read through. It's kind of a long question. Great. All right. My question relates to the formula, steadfastness from unity. Unity from humility, humility from Jesus. You just kind of walk through that just now. Yep. I like this formula when the lack of unity comes from lack of humility. But does all lack of unity flow from lack of humility? Mm. Jesus said that he came to bring division, referencing Luke 12. Okay. Should we think of this focus in Philippians to address issues of division based on pride issues? Or would you apply this formula universally? Mm. Is, la- is all lack of unity a humility problem? Mm. Is this related to knowledge and discernment from verses or chapter one, verse nine? It's a great question. Okay. So ultimately the question is, is all lack of unity a humility problem? So in the formula of um, steadfastness comes from unity, unity from humility, humi- humility from Jesus. If there's not unity, is that always a lack of humility? And I would say no. I okay. would say that that, to, yeah. So it's. A lack of unity can also be a truth problem. <clears throat> can be, um, are we, are we actually rooted in the same yeah. truth? Yep. So, and that's even the 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 division that Jesus came to bring. Families being divided from one another. Luke chapter twelve. When he's talking about that. It's it's he actually becomes the the stumbling block for people. Right. You know, he's the cornerstone, and he's the one who went, on which people stumble and fall. Like he. Yep. So um, so belief or truth is also a major cause of disunity. Yeah. So, um, so no, but I would say as an in-house, like meaning in the church among people who have put their faith in Jesus, who agree on these fundamental truths about who Jesus is, um, how we experience salvation, things like that. Um, I don't know. Is, is all unity in the church a lack of humility? Um, or you're saying is all disunity a is, lack of or, yes right okay yes is all yes yeah, is, is the lack of unity yeah yep. uh, so disunity is that a humility problem I would say within the church a lot of it is okay. a lot of it is I think you have to bring truth and and you know what are we actually talking about in terms of what we believe are we actually Clarity. was there ever unity in the first place maybe that's the starting point that's was there ever unity in the first place around what our faith is in sure. and who we follow and, and, you know, these core doctrinal perspectives. I look at, you know, for an example, people wonder, what is the core of that? I look at just a shorthand reference places like first Corinthians 15, the first 10 or so verses of that chapter, 
um, where Paul refers to things of first importance. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about like the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus that he appeared to the eyewitnesses, you know, it's a reliable testimony that he's like, those are the, those are the like first things, yeah. you know, first importance. So, um, so I think if there is unity in the first place, a lot of disunity, maybe I can't say all, maybe there, I'm, I don't know that I'm thinking of other examples of things that would be other than, than, you know, humility, but a lot of the, the problem, a lot of the lack of unity does come from a lack of humility. Is that, um, so I, um, when I'm thinking of that, I'm trying to like, you know, your mind races through different examples throughout history or just even recently. You referenced um, at least one story in your in your message of meeting with a pastor recently who has yeah. had some people leave his congregation in yep. the last 18 months. People that he's poured his whole life and ministry into. But some things in the last 18 to 24 months specifically may relate to COVID, masks yep. and social yep. distancing. Some of those things were. Um, the impetus for people leaving the church. Yep. Um, and so kind of like breaking away from unity there. Yep. Was that needed? Should that have happened? And so I'm thinking of, um, that was the example you gave. Maybe this applies. When I think about lack of humility, I'm also thinking of a lack or a, yeah, a lack or a um, not having the commitment to understanding the other perspective. Sure. So like humility, like a lack of humility shows up in different forms. Yeah. So a lack of humility could actually be arrogance. Yeah. A lack of humility could also be a um, a stubbornness in your own perspective without trying to understand the other person's perspective. Sure, that's good. And so I'm just hearing, like, when you say a lot, a lot of unity that doesn't exist, a disunity, oftentimes could reflect a lack of humility. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, I think so, because lack of humility shows up in so many different ways. That's true. Right. That's true. What do you think about that? I think that's right. And I think even if you look at Paul's grid here in verse three of chapter two, where he's talking about, you know, considering others more significant than yourself. If you're you're using that as some of the different definitions of what humility actually means and looks like. Yeah. Looking to others' interests, not just your own, um, not doing things out of selfish ambition or conceit. Sure. Conceited. um, I think that is well said. Like, I think you've got multiple expressions of a lack of humility can look a lot of different ways and it ends up being, yeah. I think that example, even too, that I mentioned yesterday about the pastor, I mentioned specifically in there that though no doctrinal positions had changed in the yes, church. That's and right. that comes yeah. back to my point of like, so if they're, if the church had been changing doctrinal positions on things that brings the truth back into the, and there are times to divide because the truth yeah. has been compromised. There. Yes. Right. So I, I think that is an important consideration. Uh, even if there has been unity, and then there's a difference of perspective and, and difference of opinion and, and to the point of the actual doctrine changes that we yeah. believe. Um, that a church, I'm thinking of a local church in this case, a formal doctrinal statement or something for that local church changes. Well, that is a that is a reason to kind of go, oh, do I does that actually still adhere to what I understand scripture that's I can understand scripture that's right. to teach? That would be not the same thing as like a lack of humility. And then you can walk that out in an arrogant or a humble way. I mean, you, sure. you could, yep, you could right. still walk out a legitimate right. difference that would lead to a split, would lead to a, a change like that. You can yep. still, even the way you do that can be done in a whole variety of ways. Um, but short of that, and that's where this situation talking to that pastor felt like it, it clearly was not a doctrinal change. Right. Some people feared that's it was like the first sign of things that would lead to those doctrinal changes. Yeah. But I think that's part of the humility piece is to say, 
But if they're not actually changing those things, if they're actually, even if you're, even if someone's in your ear saying like, well, that's the first step that leads to this. It's like, well, it hasn't led to it yet. So like, I would say that there's actually a responsibility to stay in there in humility, even if you're concerned in those things that, that does take humility. It takes a lot of humility to hang in there when you're concerned about stuff like that. Um, but to, but to actually walk that out for the sake of unity until you can't because right. of the truth thing. Right. Because of the truth thing. Right. That's right. Yeah. Which uh, you mentioned this a moment ago speaks to the importance of knowing what you're unified on from the beginning. Right. Right. Anytime you go in. So just as, um, just as maybe I will, I will say generally, you know, you could split on second, third, fourth order issues mm-hmm. um, and go like, wait a second, we're still unified on the first order things here. Why are we splitting over things that are, peripheral yeah um well you know maybe actually people think they're unified because they find unity on the fourth third and second order things and mm-hmm. never actually get to the yeah. first order things too so it's like that's it shows true. up on both sides that's true. right yeah. like know what you're uni- united on from the beginning and then before you'd ever depart like they let that unit that unity in the beginning be the foundation upon which you're building your relationship yeah, yeah that's yeah. right that's right so the um i mean and there's there's also a way to experience unity across denominational lines sure in this common the fact that we were indwelt by the same holy spirit so i'm i'm not as presumptuous to think that like only people who share the second third order uh fourth order doctrinal convictions that i have are the only ones that have the spirit of god dwelling in them so there's a there's a way to still be unified across some of those differences as well and that's also part of the discouragement is when it seems like certain tribes or pockets within kind of the the larger Christian family make the other tribes within the Christian family, their primary target. Like they make them their primary enemy as opposed to say like, well, even if I disagree over things that feel very substantial to me. So Mm -hmm. like maybe an example, like even like, um, a church that's reformed in its understanding of salvation that looks to the sovereignty of God and all of salvation versus a church that is more many like these different convi- major convictions. I think they're really important. I think that that is how we read scripture is very different than if yep. we don't. It, so, but I also think, and I know personally many people who have very different convictions than me on that, that I would mm. absolutely say have the spirit of God dwelling in them and are sincerely following Jesus. Sure. Um, so I'm never going to make them, like I'm never going to put them in my crosshairs as far as like, who am I worried about guarding against um, the whole steadfastness and striving side by side for the sake of the gospel um, keeps perspective constantly that in this grand scheme of things, there are those who follow Jesus and there are those who are at present enemies of Jesus that we want to become followers of, yeah. of Jesus, but aren't yeah. and goes, that's the, that's the fundamental disunity. Is yep. that there's those that have become through the grace of God, um, beloved sons and daughters yep. of, of, of God, and there's those who are at present at enmity, you yep. know, and have made themselves enemies of, of yep. God. Um, I, I think if we forget that, we really quickly blow up the unity that we're supposed to have, striving side by side. Yep. Yeah, that's good. And at the end of that question, chapter chapter one verse nine, um, and it is my prayer that you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So mm. there's a, there's a, there's probably more of a broad application of that, that, um, the command, 
um, for knowledge and discernment mm-hmm. and that hope for it. But in this case, I think we're, we're applying that, like the sure. knowledge and discernment in all of these issues that there'd be, you'd have unity on these first order things and you'd have humility and grace and kindness and a seeking to understand perspectives as you move out from unity or out from first order totally before you would ever go, Oh, I'm leaving. Oh, we were not aligned. Right. Right. There's knowledge and discernment needed for all of that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the second question. All right. So another kind of a long form question. Let me read it. Uh, In the sermon, you talked about how most of the time we can't be uh, quote unquote first chair. Maybe you want to even just recount a little bit of that in a moment here, that for anyone who wants a reminder of what you referenced there. And we should respond to those those scenarios with humility, as well as giving up our own self-interest for the service of others. However, I'm wondering if this could turn into being taken advantage of and how you should respond in these situations. For example, if I'm a friend of someone who always calls me in times of trouble because they know that I will drop my plans to serve them at any moment, is there ever a time in which I can or should say no to that? How do you how do you show humility in situations when it feels like you are being taken advantage of? Is there ever a time we are being taken advantage of or is that a selfish way to look at service? That's a great question and clearly I'm sure birthed out of like experiential wisdom, sure. personal relationships yeah. where that's Pro- probably by this question I'm sure that most people would go like, "Oh yeah, I can absolutely think I can resonate with this question." Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Right. That's really good. Um and okay, so just a quick recap of the first chair thing. I, I was referencing that as a um, you know personal kind of anecdote from my life of um, concert band challenging for first chair clarinet, high stakes stuff, really high stakes. Yep. I mean, this is the first order thing. Totally, I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is what we're talking about. First order. I'm kidding. It was a real. I'm sorry. I think yeah, yeah. as a joke. It's not cheap, but like it, it yeah. was a really good example. So go ahead. Well, yeah. So like, and the idea that you know, um, well, so challenge. That I won, but then lost, um, and the idea of like, well, what now? What do you do? Like, do you just quit and walk away, or do you actually like choose to kind of continue to take the place that you've been given and try sure. to do it well? Um, so that's that's a little of the first chair, you know. And we, and we all have usually multiple in our lives places where we want to be better than other people at stuff, and and, and re- recognized as competent, recognized as you know, uh, gifted, and intelligent, and some things. So. Um, Saying like the question here being like, if you're a friend of someone who calls you all the time and they know you're going to drop planes to serve them, is there ever a time you can and should say no to that? So the answer is yes. And um, here's a a paradigm that we actually use a ton with our deacons here at Liberty, particularly as our deacons end up serving as the front line for a lot of kind of tangible needs and care and serving people. And they they try to mobilize people of our church to do that. But when, especially when someone kind of, you know, comes in that we don't know, we don't have a relationship with, we're trying to figure out what to do. In those situations, we try to err on the side of serving, of mm-hmm. taking a low place, of not kind of um, putting a lot of conditions on the kind of help we're going to give. But the longer we go that road with someone, the longer we walk with them and get to know them, we start to kind of figure out, okay, this person, I think, is, is genuinely someone that needs this help, and, and it makes sense for us to show up and serve in those ways. Or, and this is the principle that I would just kind of say is worth committing to memory, and this actually comes from a, um, Tim Keller just has a way of concisely saying things that, at least for me, help me remember them. So, like, he, in a, um, he wrote a book called Ministries of Mercy years ago, and he has a whole chapter in there on the concept of mercy limits mercy. So... 
the idea being that we want, we're, we're people who show mercy to other people, which is this undeserved favor that we're given from God. Um, but there are times when actually being merciful to a person limits the kind of mercy that we can show them. So I think that principle translates into that whole idea of boundaries, which is what this questioner is asking about. Are there ever boundaries to put up in the way we serve other people? Yeah. Um, and the whole thing that Paul talks about there of like, look, all, look also to the interests of other people, count other people more significant than yourselves. Um, that's a great way to live until the person on the other side of that equation um, has like, for example, a significant mental health disorder um, where they take advantage of, of that or has a significant addiction where they take advantage of that or has, there are all kinds of exceptional circumstances. Can I, can I also maybe just add, or they themselves are taking advantage of someone and without something that we would call a diagnosis, just like, Hey, yeah. that person, that person's being unfair. Yep. Right. Or unbalanced in their approach to receiving yeah. friendship and care and support from someone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. It doesn't have to be an official thing. Sure. But where there are, there is a need to put, some boundaries in place in those kinds of situations, but the perspective remains humble service. Mm-hmm. Like it, rather than saying, Hey, we've capped, you know, you've maxed out my humble service of you. There's no more humble service I can give. You're actually saying what humble service looks like for you right now is actually not giving you what you're asking me for. Sure. Because I think to do that would be enabling you to continue in some unhealthy things and actually serving you, actually loving you right now. You know, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to walk with you in this. I've demonstrated that. You know I'm willing to do things for you and drop things to help you. I've proven that by the way I've shown up early before I've known this pattern about you. Um, but now that I do know that about you, the actual definition of humbly serving you is to not play into the thing that's actually, I think, hurting you, sure. and enabling you. Yeah. But that, that, that's, that feels so different than you kind of just getting burnt out on compassion. Like I've got compassion fatigue and you know what? You've maxed me out on my capacity. I'm done with you. I'm writing you off because you just asked too much. You're taking advantage of me. You're manipulating me. You can feel, I mean, viscerally, you will feel that. I I mean, gosh, you know, this person I'm sure knows that personally. I know that, you know that Steve, like we've been in situations where you feel like you've been taken advantage of, but to have to fight for truth and even using this Philippians two paradigm there to say, I still am willing to take the low place with this person. Yeah. But the outcome of that as a humble servant of this person is I still can't give them what they're asking me for right that's now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. I've, um, I, I, I always appreciate seeing how as Christians, we can bring principles like this into the marketplace, generally the, the marketplace. Where sure. How do you, how do you engage this with, maybe friends or coworkers or neighbors or family that aren't Christians. Yeah. And so this language, I think Matt, your explanation was really, was really good. Um, ways I've heard, I, I, maybe I, where I've seen some of these principles yeah. from, from, for, for us as Christians and from yeah. our faith yeah. lived out in non-religious or unreligious marketplaces and spheres is this idea of like, as a friend, you want to be someone who brings both support and challenge to people. Yeah. And so you right. want it like, and so if you, if you over support, if you're constantly supporting someone, I'm using language there. I won't mm-hmm. go through all of like where that language comes from, but like if you're constantly always being the friend and always fulfilling the need, yeah. but not able to challenge someone where they have their own responsibility, where they need to make decisions. They need to take ownership. Mm-hmm. They need to kind of sit in consequences at times. 
um, you end up kind of overprotecting. You're, you're, I would say, oh, you're being a protector. You're offering too much support and not enough challenge. Yeah. And the, the, the way to resolve that is not to then abdicate as right. the friend. It's actually, you're saying still, still sit there in the humble service. Totally. Don't remove yourself. Although, again, please hear us. Sometimes there are places where sure. you need to yeah. create a boundary that might yeah. mean you need to not be in the situation. Sure. Right? So that's, we're not, that's we can't possibly be addressing every situation right now. That's and, a good and Yeah. Um, so back to what I was saying, if you're someone who's always providing support and not enough challenge, you're, you are kind of protecting someone. Mm-hmm. The, the best way is like, well, you got you to gotta recalibrate how much challenge you're bringing. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you need to not just be the recipient of someone venting mm-hmm. or offloading their problems onto you. You need to humbly serve them while, while also calling them up to a standard or yeah, by sh- pushing them in a certain direction or like helping them in a way that like drives them toward ownership and accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And that, that kind of service can actually require more humility in some cases because yeah. you're now putting yourself at risk of like what you're going to get from that person. When That's you, right. You bring a little bit of like, yeah. you know, you, you're like, but it, and it, you can start like the motive in this is all the difference in the world. You can do yeah. that from a place of like, you know, I'm better than you. I'm calling you out on this thing that you're not doing well yep. or true humility of like, I actually do care about you. I'm That's trying right. to serve you. And even it, Paul writes about this a little more in, in, I always go to Galatians chapter six for this, where he says, bury each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. I think that's verse two. And then two verses later, he says, because each one must carry his own load. Yeah. So it's right. like, be, be willing to show up and bear each other's burdens. Do that. Right. But your, your goal is also to help other people be able to carry their own load just as by the grace of God, you're able to carry your load. So, yeah. the, and that's the, it's the mutuality and the interdependence, not the codependence yes. or independence yes. yep. aspect of this where interdependence, I, I want you to be able to stand. Sure. I want you to be thriving. Sure. I'm willing to serve you and show up in your life in the ways that <clears throat> when that's not there and happening, you need help. Yeah. Um, even another paradigm, it's First Thessalonians 5, it's also Paul, right, writing, um, <clears throat> admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Right. And so there's a discern, there's a knowledge and discernment aspect going yes. back to that chapter 1, verse 9 piece there of saying, where is this person at? That's right. Humble service, patience with all. Yep. <laughs> Humble service for this person, depending on where they are right now, means admonishment if right. they're idle and need to be called challenged to something. Yep. yep. Uh, it means, you know, encouragement. If they're just faint hearted, they need some encouragement. It means help if they're weak and need yep. help. Yeah. Uh, so humility fits into all of that. Humility is kind of the overarching motive that can play out in any one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, maintaining that motivation of actual humility and not just going, you know what? I've done enough for you. It's time to look out for me. Right. That changes the motive. Yes. Where it's not humility anymore. That's right. Yeah, I love that. I love that motive. I, I, I'm reminded of of Christ, uh, or well, New Testament, like a new command. Yes, love one another. It's yeah. like, well, it's like, okay, it's actually an old command, but it's a new command, newly understood. Yeah, right. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another, right? And it is Christ, as you would know. Yeah, he will know you're my disciples. Yeah, and so like this, this, this motivation of love toward each other. That's that's the, that's the right. posture. That's it. Right. Well, and that's that's John 13. That's Jesus yes. washing the disciples' feet. That's right. Which is um, which is part of what Jesus, you know, we. Jesus' humble humble service, his obedience service. That's right. the, that's a great picture of what it looked like during his yeah his life. Yeah, yep, true. All right, it's good. Uh, let's jump to this next question. So maybe some rapid fire questions here. We, here. we had some long form questions, but now, now like three little, short ones. Three short ones. Okay, okay. Um, we, we welcome both. 
We welcome both. We welcome all sorts of questions. Uh, this one is, okay. I love it. Here we go. Ready? Do you think, do you think Maslow's hierarchy of needs with self-actualization at the top is wisdom or folly? So this is just like, this is awesome. This is marketplace, man. This, this is, is marketplace. Like, so I love Steve, it. You totally agree. Steve, bring your, give us <laughs> okay. kind of a summary. What is Maslow's hierarchy oh, okay. yep. of needs? Oh right, yeah. Start there. Well, I saw the question. I was like, I guess I got excited about that. <laughs> Um, because you know what I do, I love, yeah, all right. So, uh, Maslow's Hark of Knees. So if there's any marketing majors or intro to psych students out there about to go, you know, they could give maybe the 10 minute version. I'm gonna give the snapshot, which I think is accurate, but here we go. We'll jump in. So Maslow's Hark of Knees. This is a, Maslow was studying how people are motivated. Yep. And so why are people motivated? He kind of, he kind of, um, separated two different, I'm going just from the memory here, two different motivations and needs. Okay. You have these deficient needs and you have growth needs. Okay. So deficient needs are the ones, and this is the bottom of the pyramid. So anyone who can picture Maslow's hard needs, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. Maybe it's best if you want to like Google, oh, sure. Google, Google up an image yep, of this. Google it yeah. yep, and look this up. So you got a pyramid and at the bottom are these physiological needs and on top of that is safety needs, then love and belonging needs, and then esteem needs. Yeah. And those four in the original Maslow's period pyramid would be def- deficient needs. Okay. These are needs that when you pursue them and you achieve them, you actually stop pursuing them as much as you originally did. Okay. You initially did. So once I've got a roof over my head, I'm not worried about shelter yep, anymore. Exactly. I'm That's not, a great example. It doesn't give me anxiety anymore that I'm going to have a place to sleep. That's right. Yep. Okay. But when you don't have it, you're like... That's, it's all consuming. It's all consuming. And you kind of... now. The, it's not to say you always have to get all the physiological ones before you then get safety and okay. then you get love and belong. Okay. They kind of work in order, but okay. you can kind of jump from one to the other. Yeah. Right. The person who doesn't have a roof over their head, but wants, um, uh, uh, uh kind of love and belonging will sure. still go like, Hey, I'd love to have intimacy and trust with someone. Yeah. And they'll still pursue that. Even yeah. though at the bottom is like, I really need a roof over my head. Sure. They'll maybe feel the weight of that great more greatly. Yeah. Okay. So those are deficiency needs at the bottom. Yeah. And at the top is this growth need. This is the original Maslow's pyramid, which is self-actualization. And that's so, what this questioner was talking about. And this about. question is going like, so at the top of this pyramid, self-actualization, this is, um, this is how I pursue um, a need to uh, be, pursue excellence and achieve for myself. So I might, might go like, I want to be the best academic I could be, the best athlete I could be, the best professional in my field, the best servant or parent or husband or wife. Like there's this need to just be and achieve. I think of the word fulfillment. Yeah. Self-fulfillment in in these areas. That's right. That's a great word. So this fulfillment in, 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 in area or areas. Yeah. And that's a growth need. So actually the more you experience it, the more you're inspired to pursue and gain more of it. Gotcha. Right, so remember, so deficiency needs are those ones that as you get them, you might go like, ah, I don't need to keep pursuing it. I've achieved it a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe you want always a better roof over your, you know, roof over your sure. head or whatever it may sure. be. But like the self-actualization, the more you achieve it, the more it drives you to inspire you to get more of it. Okay. Let so me pause. Can I pause there real pause. quick? All right. Pause. I don't know how much we want to get into it. I'm remembering from my intro to psych classes. Wow. It's okay. All ca- it's all coming back. You're missing a little Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. I was not going to start saying that. This is how the minds of it's Matt and Steve work. Back. Oh my god! It's all coming. Music, okay. as anybody would know, does not quickly come to my head. <laughs> I do not resonate with all the lyrics. So I think there's another. There's a. There's a further advancement of Maslow's pyramid, 
which doesn't have self-actualization at the top. Oh, okay. It's actually transcendence is at the top. Oh, Ma- so it's, it's Maslow like, got religion later in life. He got maybe, right? Maybe, I, I don't, yeah, I don't actually know the history Mas- of Maslow okay. specifically. Right. But above that was this need of like, oh, not just self-fulfillment of myself. Now there's fulfillment to pursue outside of myself that's this transcendent nature. Mm. So maybe an example would be religion, yeah. right? Or mysticism or like oneness with the universe, right? This kind of shows up now. People find this in different areas. Mm. Why are we even talking about this? That's the... Uh, that's, that's the good. summary that's... of Maslow's pyramid, but yeah. self-actualization, this self-fulfillment. Okay. That would, so the question was, is that wisdom or folly? We think the questioner is asking this. Yeah, here's how we think this connects to Philippians <laughs> Okay, too. right. Because in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility, count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interests, right, but also to the interests of others. So we think that there's this, the questioner is going like, hey, how we consider someone who works to achieve their own interests, their needs, apply ambition to be fulfilled in their needs, but also self-fulfilled for self-actualization. How do we weigh that? Is that wisdom or folly for the Christian yeah. who now wants to serve others in humility? We yep. think that's what the questioner is asking. Yep. That's there's good. A question. Great question. Um, yeah, we're in, we're in it. We're in deep. Uh, Maslow's in psychology, and I was a marketing major, so definitely we use we use psychology to manipulate people to buy things. Totally, so that's our right, <laughs> and surely that doesn't happen anymore. Okay, for those of you that used to be done, companies out there used to try to manipulate people to buy products. It's unthinkable now. Yeah, unthinkable. look that up and uh, Google that and see how that's not happening these days. Okay, right. um, so here's what I think. I think from a diagnostic tool standpoint, Maslow's hierarchy of needs can be really helpful to understand what motivates people, to understand how the human mind works, to understand true things about even the design of God. Like we're designed to to need love and belonging and to feel that as a deficiency if we don't have it. We're designed to need a home and we eat and we have, we're physically made. God values the material. Like there's, I think you can look at these different aspects of Maslow's hierarchy and say there's a lot of wisdom built into components of this from which we discern some of the even bigger design and plan of God and how he's, yeah. how he's been at work in the world. Um, as the pinnacle of existence, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like, well, once you've got all these needs met, the pinnacle of existence is the self-actualized life. Sure. A fulfilled life where that is the aspect I would say is folly. That's the, the way the language, even that the, the question um, was yeah. using here yeah. in that, <clears throat> You, and I think you've seen this play out many times over in every generation, people that reach whatever the pinnacle of self-actualization is in their cultural definition of that sure. and still find themselves to feel very empty yes. and, I mean, unf- this happens and unfulfilled. All the time. It's a constant. Constant. It's yeah. a constant repeating story yep. that plays out. And so if you look to, if you actually follow this pyramid of, of needs as Maslow defined them, to actually say like, well, that's the path of life I'm going to take. I'm going to move from each of these steps upward to self-actualization. I'm going to find fulfillment. You will be disappointed. You will be, it will be revealed to be folly to you. Sure. <laughs> that's, yep, that's right. In one way or another. Right. Um, where, and I think where you see that in Paul's life, he, he'll get to chapter three and talking about all this stuff. He was, he was self-actualized and fulfilled. He yes. had everything. That's right. Yeah. He was uh Hebrew of Hebrews born on the, I mean, all yep. this stuff to his credit. He was the pinnacle of his he was a Pharisee, so his Pharisee cultural 
Maslow's hierarchy pyramid. It didn't exist yep. back then, of course. But like, <laughs> if it did, Paul was self-actualized yeah. as a Pharisee. That's right. And he counts it rubbish now compared to the sake of knowing Christ. Yes. So it, Paul will say in a chapter, it's folly. But, um, but I still think there's ways to look at this and find some common grace truths and what motivates people and even how we care for people and why, you know, even in this cultural moment, I find this a helpful diagnostic tool to go like, why are, are we fighting over things like, um, like it's a luxury in a culture. It's a decadence in a culture when, when the battles you're having are over things like what we're experiencing right now, um, like gender identity and like these kinds of things can only surface. Uh, and actually, um, Truman's book, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, talks about this. Yeah, like Carl Truman. Carl yep. Truman. Yep. You, you, you have to be already at a level where people have gotten so many of their, their low, like lower on the hierarchy pyramid needs That's met. Right. Sure. They're so safe. Sure. They're so, their physiological needs of shelter and food are so met. No one's thinking about that anymore that they've now moved into this place of like, they're looking for self-actualization and fulfillment. Yeah. And that's why we even have some of the arguments that we have that there would be an unthinkable arguments that hundred sure. years ago. Yep. Um, so I think it's helpful as a diagnostic. I think there's wisdom in it. I think it's folly if you make self-actualization the pinnacle of your life. It's good. It's well. Wah, wah, wah. That was good. I'd say yes. Totally agree with all that. And maybe I heard that in other language. I'd like what I'm hearing is the tool. It's a good, it's a good to be used as a tool. When the tool becomes the definition of what you're looking for, mm, that's good. That's not helpful. Yep. Um, and because it's a tool, it can lead you in the wrong direction. Mm. So even if you say, yo, that's right. Self-actualization is not the pinnacle for me. Or if taking the, the later version of the model, transcendence, mm-hmm. I think about that one is a good example of like, okay, transcendence, it's a tool. And so if you, yeah. if you, if that tool is helpful for you to recognize that you have as Ecclesiastes three, mm-hmm. I think says like God has put eternity yes. on their hearts. Right. Yep. So this idea of like, if that's a helpful tool to help you go, Oh yeah, God has put eternity on my heart. There's something outside of me that I desire mm-hmm. that I need to fill in my life. This idea of like, there's a hole in your life that you can't fill. Only God can fill it. Yep. Um, if this tool helps you see that, Great. Yeah. This tool, though, can also be used, and it leads people in crazy directions. Sure. I'm, I'm, maybe I shouldn't use that word, but like inaccurate, false, yeah. at times evil, yeah. right? And um, a- anti-God directions to sure. go, oh, trans- we would not say transcendence is all the same. Sure. So the person who goes, yeah, that's right, Stevie, one with the universe. Yeah. And so I'm t- I totally believe in the afterlife, too, and my afterlife will be when I die, I become one of the stars. I'm like... Hey, I know you think you found transcendence. We'd say that's folly. You have right. you have that's landed an area. You've used the tool, yeah. which we would affirm, yeah. but you've used the tool and you treated you found you used the tool to find the wrong solution. That's right. To find the wrong end. That's right. So it's not just literally self-actualization or transcendence is wrong, because it can be right. Yeah. But the tool can also lead you in a way because it's a tool, you can misuse it. That's right. So be responsible with the tools you use. As I tell my sons at home who all they want to do is get daddy's hammer and start swinging it at everything. And I'm like, please stop hitting the wall with my hammer. Responsible tool usage. That's right. You must use the tools the right way. Family discipleship has to entail. Yes. Responsible usage of tools. That's exactly right. So yeah, there you go. All right. Next question. Jump to it. All right. Ready? Any recommendations, this is more of just like a, a question written in a statement though. Any recommendations on how to marry the calls of Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 verse 9? 
So let me, Matt, I'm going to read to yeah. verse 3 for Perfect. you. Okay. To verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay. And this is for verse 9. Uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul's writing, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. So how do we marry those two commands? They seemingly could contradict each other, not necessarily, but yes. take and it away. That, that's my guess is that they it can sound like those things are at odds with one another. Where Philippians 2 chapter 3 is others focused and it can sound like Philippians 4 is Paul is saying essentially follow me. Sure. So one is repelling attention from self, one is drawing attention to self. Yeah. Um, and that's probably where it feels like the calls can be kind of at odds um, with each other. So, um, yeah, I think that's good that it, that you're sensitive to those things. And there's lots of parts of Scripture that when we look at them side by side, we're like, how do these things, how are these things compatible? So yeah. that's a very valid way to kind of, as you get into it, that might be questions that you have on other parts of Philippians as well. But um, I guess what I would say is, I don't see, and I think Paul does not see, more importantly, those as being mutually exclusive calls um, because what he's doing throughout this letter, and he starts with Jesus, but he continues, as we'll see in coming weeks, with examples of other people and what what their humble service looks like. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus next. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who else he might refer to in this letter. But um, so... The idea is that we're being called to be others-focused and we're, we're being called to humility. Yep. In that call to be others-focused, we actually need some examples to follow. Yeah. And the the tension is like Paul is putting himself forward as an example when he gets to chapter 4. He's saying, yeah. follow Jesus. That's the per, he's, the par, he's the primary example. That's where yep. we got yesterday in Philippians 2. He continues later in Philippians 2, follow Timothy, follow Epaphroditus. Right. Yep. They're good people to follow in that. Yep. And also... Follow me. And right. Paul says elsewhere in his other letters, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, right. he he aims to be an example for people to follow in all of his life. Yep. He says to Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and, you know, faith, all these things. So um, I think to, um, to I don't know that, that you that you would need to see these as being mutually exclusive. Um, maybe a way to think about it is. Um, what's the, what's the terminus? What's the terminal point of the attention? So like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, like where does it end? Where, where does it, it go to? Where's it lead? Where's it lead? Yes. What's it all, what's it all headed for? Yep. And it's ultimately, hopefully all headed for Jesus and for the glory of God. You know, that's if the, if the vision of all of these things is fixing our gaze to the glory of God, um, that's then we're on the right track there. So we can do that through human examples and say, man, that person and the way they're following Jesus, that's helping me look to Jesus. Right. It's not, it's not terminating on them. It's not saying like, man, Paul's like it, it, we go wrong when we do that. And when Paul gets to like first Corinthians and writes first Corinthians, he's saying he's identifying the division in that church, which is different from the division in this church. And he's saying some follow Peter, some follow uh, Apollo, some follow, you know, like these people have, created tribes within the church of the people that they follow. It's a great example. Yeah. So don't do that because it's terminating on the wrong person. It's terminating right. on the example. Um, but here he's saying we're, we're seeking to be humble, be, ultimately to follow the example of Jesus, who was right. the most humble in his 
humiliation and his his sacrificial death um, and then his resurrection, his exaltation. But we're following Jesus. We need human examples to follow in that. So I would I would look at it that way and say, yeah. um, okay, I want to follow this command to be others focused. Philippians two three. Yep. I need some people to learn that from. Jesus is my ultimate example. I need some other human examples to follow. Yeah. Paul is putting himself forward to the Philippians as one that, that knows him. Yep. And I think we aim to be that um, even as elders in the church, where we set to, and as part of our vows that we take, is we strive to set an example for believers in. Right in the way we live our lives. Right. Imperfect. Right. And God help us if it terminates on us and yep. we say, we're, we're what, we're what the goal of this all is. And, right. um, but, um, we do need the human examples. Yeah, that's good. And as you're, as you're answering that, man, I'm thinking of, you know, why this question, question is really, because when I initially read the question, mm-hmm. I did not see the category conflation as quickly. I was gotcha. like, Oh, I, th- I, it seems so, it seems more clear to me that they're not, that, that, they, that they're not mutually exclusive, gotcha. right? Yeah. Um, but as you're, as you're answering, going like, you know what, though? Goodness gracious, do we live in a time where, whether it's pastors or leaders in religious organizations, faith-based, it's like, it is just, and it's the human heart yeah. all throughout history, but yeah. maybe in ways now different with social media and this kind of like the, the, the connected nature of our communications these days more so than ever before. Yeah. Uh, to, to say like, so people doing a selfish ambition, you're like, it look, it kind of looks selfish. Kind of looks like what you're, what you, sure. all the attention, even as you're preaching or yeah. in your ministry organization, it does seem like you're receiving a lot of attention, yeah. and you're kind of okay with that. Yeah. Maybe that would be a critique I'd have of people that I see in culture. And, sure. Um, well, there's a great if you want a little like laugh break in the middle of your day. I Joe, love laugh breaks. <laughs> Joe Marlin sent this to me um, actually when he like not long after he was the guest on our on our podcast. Yes, in January. I know where you're going with this, and it's very funny. He yeah. says an Instagram account called Barbie Savior. I think I think that's what it's called. Savior Barbie, something like that. I'm sure you can find it. I, I looked at it the one time you told me about it. I laughed. I laughed a fair amount on that laugh and break, and then came back. It's essentially. I mean, it's not essentially. It's making fun of. The it's, it's all these pictures of like a Barbie doll, sure, in like a third world nation, like caring for and serving for like the people uh, that have darker skin than she does in that third world nation. And it's right. like this, it's like it's making fun of like it's a huge trope of, yeah, we yeah. like we American evangelicals go on mission trips to these other parts of the world and they take a lot of pictures and post them online. And it ends up being like, look how good I am at what I it's it's sure it ends up drawing all this, like they're going there hopefully with the motive of like serving others, right? And it ends up kind of like putting all the attention focus back on that. I, I think the signature of that, <laughs> you said that, because you looked this up, you, you heard about it, we looked at well, it. Well, Joe, Joe said it to Joe me. Joe said it to you, yeah. and, I, and I think the, the the tagline under it is, it's not about me, dot, 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 actually it is. But it actually is about me, right? <laughs> yes, so that, like, the selfish ambition, like, do nothing from selfish ambition. Well, you know what? Whether it's whether it's someone who goes on a missions trip or a pastor, all of us, I see this in my heart. Yeah. I trust all of us. I mean, yeah. Please look and see if you find it in your heart. I, sure. I think you'll find it if you look for yeah. it. That we're all inclined in our the battle of the flesh and go, yeah, I'm kind of I want to glorify God, but I don't mind if I get propped up too. I totally. mean, that's something that all of yeah. us can 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 uh, can uh, experience at times. Yeah. And so, like the command is to not let that happen. Yeah. And then also to follow the examples that those examples that we follow. And sure, as elders, we want to be these people, and I hope that we are. Yeah. Um, that the examples we follow are constantly and consistently deflecting the attention back to God. That's right. Right? So we're like, That's we're right. pointing in the direction of Christ and not letting it 
terminate with us. That's exactly so it. So that should be true for all of us as Christians. That's right. Yeah. That's what that's good. All right, last question. Um, so this question, kind of talking about the, the connection between verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 here. So let me read them. And being found in human form, that is Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Mm-hmm. So the question being, hey, that idea of that, 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 that turn there, therefore, was Christ exalted? How much was Christ exalted before his death on the cross and resurrection huh, huh. versus after? Yeah. Was there an exaltation placed on him because of his victory over death? Like, what do we do with that word, therefore, God, as if like, oh, in response to what Christ did, yeah. now God exalted him? Yeah. What do we do with that as Christians? Yeah, there's people that get uncomfortable with it because it's it's merit-based, right? It's like he earned exaltation as a reward like therefore because he humbled himself sure. kept yep. taking the lower we place we can probably read it that way yep yep and we get uncomfortable with that because as christians we believe that we're saved by grace through faith you know not as a result of works not as a sure. as a result of merit not as a reward of the the good life we've lived yeah but i think that is actually to conflate and to kind of impose how you and i experience salvation and how Jesus accomplished our salvation. Okay. Jesus did accomplish our salvation. He merited something. He he lived a perfect life. He merited that. Yep. And yet, though he lived a perfect life, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, like Paul's writing here. Yep. And it is, therefore, that God exalted him. So we um, he, he achieved a victory over death, and he, as a result of his faithful obedience, was exalted by God. It was a merit. Yep. based reward kind of thing. So I think if that makes us uncomfortable, I think it's probably because we've we've taken our understanding of how we experience our salvation and kind of imported that upon Jesus's life and how he accomplished our salvation. Sure. Okay. Um, and I think it's right to say he merited <laughs> what he got um, because he's Jesus and he lived the perfect life that we don't, you know, it was possible for him to merit that. So, um, that might be part of it. Yeah, the part in that question too is kind of the idea of like, you know, therefore God exalted him. So I there's a school of thought out there that says that Jesus actually became more exalted on the other side of his death and resurrection than he was before the incarnation, when he was kind of existing with God from eternity past. That like sure. he gained a new height of exaltation on the other side of that. I get really uncomfortable with that. I don't agree with that because it feels like it does a lot of harm to the doctrine of the Trinity mm-hmm. and that if he is like Paul is writing here, fully and equally God um, before his incarnation, yep. the fact that there would be a level higher of exaltation than that. I just don't under like that. I feel like you'd be doing some pretty, some pretty serious harm to that doctrine. Sure. If you were yeah. saying there's another level higher he got now where I think there is a difference is that Jesus t- did not give up any of his divinity uh, he added to his divinity human- a full humanity. Mm-hmm. So he added a, a full humanity. His exaltation on the other side of his death, um, he is the only fully human being that has been exalted to the place that he occupies. Sure. So it's still Jesus. He's not higher. Like 
as a second person Trinity, he's not higher than he was before the incarnation. That's right. But he's now added to added to his divinity a full humanity. He's now the only fully human being. And even Paul says there, so that at the name of Jesus, like there there wasn't the name of Jesus before the incarnation. That's right. But the name Jesus is now the name that is exalted above every other name. It wasn't before. We didn't even know that there was a name to exalt like That's that. Right. For the this second was revelation. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was revealed to us in, right. in Jesus. So, um, so that's the difference of the exaltation on the other side of, of Jesus's death. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I got sorry. I, just, I smile. You 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 saw me smile. Right, right, at your explanation because I was. Did I say dungeon again? No, you didn't. I I, was, I I just I had a moment where I was like I just felt like yeah like I just I got so excited for Jesus. In that's that moment. great. So, so I smiled. The mass saw me. You saw me smiling. Pause. Um, there you go. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, great. Great question. Those are the, hey, those are the five questions we got. Yeah, um, really good questions. Yep. There's um, in addition to what we kind of opened up here. There's a couple in your um, Bible study guides. Um, even to talk about, you know, what this passage teaches us about the divinity and humanity of Jesus and why both are essential. What I would say is, man, dive into that. We did a whole series on that short series, but in Advent, we talked yes. about the humanity and divinity of Christ. What I would say is this, this, the commentaries get kind of like consumed with those aspects of things too. Sure. Like what do we actually learn about Jesus from these, these verses? I think that's worth diving into, but Remember, the main reason Paul has included it here in this text is because Jesus is our example to follow in humility. Yeah. That's that's his main point to the original audience, not to ignore it in any way the other stuff that's there, but not to get lost in the weeds of all the the, the theological truths about Jesus, but to remember at the end of the day, I mean he accomplishes our salvation through this, but he is also our example to follow. Yeah. So if you're gonna err somewhere in your Bible study questions this week, err there. Yes. How do we follow the example of Jesus in his humility? It's good. It's good. I love it. Um, yeah, well, this is, this is, I don't know how long we can't, I can't tell. We're getting up there. We're getting up there. 45 minutes. It's something not, like that. it's not a counter. In a, in a, <laughs> I, I can't read the, the, I can't translate it quickly in my head. Um, so it's good. Thanks for sticking with us. If you yeah. stick with us with all these questions, thank you. Yep. Um, I did, we did not actually intend to go 55 minutes. I don't think we hit 55 minutes. We're just joking about that. We don't want to have long form episodes like this, but we love questions. So please bring the questions, keep them coming. Um, if they're helpful uh, for you as you prepare for Bible studies and just continuing to, um, to grow as someone who loves God and spends time with other people in our church and outside the church. Um, if this is helpful, keep listening and keep sending in questions. We're grateful for them. So that's right. Matt, thanks for, uh, contributing a lot as always to the podcast. Being the person who's primarily preaching here at Liberty, yeah. and then bringing yeah. some additional content and some reflections on it um, in the in this time together. So yeah, definitely. Man. Yeah, hey, everyone, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will see you soon in the near future. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B Side Podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.libertyharrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I. Harrisburg.org.